Welcome to the Sports Garden Network Podcast, your source for sports entertainment, incredible sports wagering intelligence. Welcome, sports fans. This is Wagering Week. I'm Tom Barton. That's right. We are Wagering Week. Facebook and Twitter is how you get in touch with us. 855, the number 4, G-A-R-T-E-N, is also how you get in touch with us. Facebook and Twitter, go to Sports Garden, G-A-R-T-E-N, hashtag S-G-N, iTunes, iHeartRadio, any of our syndicated affiliates, that is where you can find us. And guys, we have a huge show. Lots of bye weeks all of a sudden are making a massive impact. I hear people writing in, you guys write me on Twitter, what do I do with this bye week? What do I do with it with Daily Fantasy here? You know, Look, don't force anything this week. There are a lot of bye weeks, a lot of injuries as well. So injuries with the bye weeks, it is kind of a mess out there. We're going to navigate our way through it, right? We're going to have that and, and kind of settle down. Look, we do have some interesting stats and numbers coming up. What I want to address, though, is how good the public is doing. The public is crushing it this year. And by all accounts... This was the sports book in Vegas. This was their worst Sunday in 35 years coming off of just an, an absolute disaster for the sports books. Look, if you would have went out there and simply just bet the best quarterback every single game this week, you would have a clean sweep of the board until Monday night. Right? A clean sweep of the board until Monday night, where Allen is clearly better than Tannehill. And guess what? If he gets one yard, right? But overall, the, the books got crushed. Now, Monday night saved them a lot. There was a lot of action in on the Bills. But this was the worst Sunday in 35 years. You know, you look at sportsbook directors around the world um, and different conversations. I know in Vegas, look, I talk to sportsbook directors. You guys follow me on my private email account. You see a private um, Twitter account. You see that all the time. I email them back and forth. We talk. Uh, they're telling me it's the worst in 35 years. The worst that, that they could remember, okay? Guys that are offshore, guys that are in Atlantic City, guys around the country, you start to look and you start to ask them. They're going, Look, they, you won two times as much money, right? This is what we're hearing. Favorites in the early game slate went 7-0 and against the spread. They absolutely crushed it. And while I want to sit back and say, congrats, take a bow, general public. If you listen to this show, you're probably not leaning towards the public side. But congrats, take a bow, good job, do your victory lap. All I'm saying is be careful. Because we've heard this before. I reported on it last year. Oh, man, the books got crushed. It was a crazy week. And for the next three weeks, the books absolutely cleaned up. And at the end of the year, I think we all know at the end of the year, it's going to be in the book's favor. So when does that start coming up? Well, there's a lot of things that are weird right now, right? Road teams are are crushing it. Road teams are, are 42 and 38, Road teams are are having a, an absolute blast out there. You look at, you know, certain situations and you go, the world's upside down. Tom Brady on Thursday night last week sends his against the spread record to 0-11 against the spread the last 11 primetime games. You know, is it Brady being overvalued? Sure. But Brady not covering? That's weird. Primetime underdogs, by the way, with that win uh, with Tennessee, 11-6. and six. 
Yeah, that's over 65%. Primetime underdogs are crushing it. So a couple of you know things that you want to take a, a glance at. Now this week, look, the Thursday night game is what everyone's going to stare at. The Thursday night game, you're going to try to find, okay, well, that underdog and who is it? I want to get into this Thursday night game because of an explanation. First of all, Cleveland was a six-point favorite. We found out um, a couple guys were going to be missing, what was going on with Baker Mayfield, of course. It fell to about three and a half. Now it's down to about two. I'm seeing some one and a halves out there. And you're looking at this and you're going, how much is Baker Mayfield worth? But I, I hear people having the conversation and going, well, you know, it went from three and a half to three. Well, three and a half to even two and a half. It, it takes a while for the market to adjust. Sportsbook directors and the people that put out these lines, you always hear Vegas put out the lines. Well, look, <laughs> no, they didn't. Uh, we know from listening to this show uh, for how many years, the offshores really do set the lines and Vegas tries to keep it up. And now it's not only Vegas, now it's a conglomerate. And look, look at what Atlantic City just did this week. Um, they just put it out there that the most amount of money that has ever been bet on sports ever in a month, ever, 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 Atlantic City. So we can't just say Vegas, but that is usually the thing. Well, you know, Vegas knows or Vegas. No, no, no. Vegas had already put into their models that Baker Mayfield was not going to be 100%. Vegas already put in that he's got a shoulder issue. Vegas already put in that, uh, you know, he was going to be limited. They also already knew Jarvis Landry. He was not going to move the line himself, but they knew Jarvis Landry, limited, uh, and probably not going to play in this one. They also knew Nick Chubb, probably not going to play. He's been ruled out. They also knew Kareem Hunt, probably not going to play. He's been ruled out. I mean, you know, the, the idea that Baker Mayfield announces, you know, look, I, I'm not going to play in this game. Oh, oh. That is a big news story. That is massive. But it's not, you know, a, a, an enormous drop-off. Oh, man, you Baker fans are going to hate me for this. It's not an enormous drop-off, as far as the books are concerned, from Baker Mayfield to Case Keenum. I'm not telling you that Case Keenum is anywhere in Baker's uh, you know, starting ballpark. But look, what are we talking about? Baker Mayfield is not a top-10 quarterback. And this is the idea that we always have. You know, people go, oh, he's a leader, not... No, no, no. I break the NFL down into three categories, not into two. And I started to do this years ago on my Vegas show. Um, and I, I used to do a Vegas show with my buddy Ron, who was a big Green Bay Packer fan. And, and of course, uh, you know, Tim and, and Chris and all of them, Tim was the co-host. And I, it was always my argument that Jay Cutler was in the top half of the league in quarterbacks. He wasn't terrible, but he certainly wasn't good. And I said, you know, I got to stop doing that because, yeah, at the time, to get to being number 15 or 14, well, that wasn't really an accomplishment. And years ago, I started to say, you know, we got to look at quarterbacks in three groupings. You have the top 10. These are 10 guys that can win you a Super Bowl. 10 guys that uh, most of them, if you if they wound up turning around and winning an MVP, you're not shocked. And then you have 10 bad guys, right? You always have the 10 bad guys. 10 guys that probably shouldn't be starting or they're rookies. You know, uh, Zach Wilson should be starting. Trevor Lawrence should be starting. But, you know, they're in the bottom 10 of the league. Okay, that's fine. I think we could all agree with that. And then you have that middle 10. And that middle 10 is really where you live. And this is where Baker Mayfield lives. I don't think it's crazy to say he's not a top 10 quarterback, right? He's not. 
Is he in the top half of the league? Probably. But where would Case Keenum be? And this is the the really the question when you're looking at this game in a handicapping aspect. Okay, look, Baker Mayfield is not Josh Allen. He's not Lamar Jackson. He's not Patrick Mahomes. He's not Justin Herbert. Okay, um, you know he he look. He's not even Joe Burrow at this point. No, he's not Joe Burrow at this point. He's not Dak Prescott. He's not Tom Brady. He's not Matt Stafford. He's not Aaron Rodgers. Right, so that's nine guys, uh, and I'm just rattling them off. And that's nine guys. Where's the tenth? Yeah, I mean, look. Right now, Kirk Cousins is better than him. I, I, I look. I'm giving you numbers. I'm just giving you numbers, right? Uh, Russell Wilson is clearly better than him when he's healthy. Kyler Murray, I didn't even mention him. So all of a sudden, Baker's now 12, 13. Do you do you start to look and say Derek Carr's year? Yeah, Derek Carr's better than Baker right now, right? You look at and you you go down the list and you say, oh, okay, you know, can Carson Wentz be in that group? Yeah, I think that's where he kind of is. So he to me is right around 15. You want to argue that he's 17? Sure. You want to argue that he's 12 or 13? Okay. He's not in the top grouping. He's squarely in that middle grouping. So then I bring up Case Keenum, right? And you look at Case Keenum and who he is and the track record that he is and and all of that. And you go, all right, look, he's an experienced 33-year-old guy. But he's experienced to come in and kind of control an offense. He also, by the way, has an absolute offensive genius behind him. It's a team that likes to run the ball. We'll have, you know, mediocre run options, but he's got a great offensive line and he's got a defense that should be playing better than they are. Okay. Well, where is Case Keenum on the scale? Is Case Keenum better than Tua at this point? Probably. Better than Zach Wilson? Yeah. Better than Mac Jones right now? I think. Yeah, I think you got to say probably, right? Is he better than Lawrence? Is he better than Davis Mills? You know, is he better than Daniel Jones? Is he better than uh, Tyler uh, Taylor Haneke? Yeah, he is, guys. You know, this is where... Is he better than Big Ben Roethlisberger right now? He might be. You might have to put him there. Is he better than, you know, Teddy Bridgewater? I, I think he's right there. Is he better than Sam Darnold? These are questions that we have to have. Is he better than Jalen Hurts from what I saw Thursday? Yeah. So I just named 10, 11, 12 guys that he's comparable to. So we go back to the original premise. Baker Mayfield being out, should it have devastating effects on the line? No, it shouldn't. First of all, they knew he was going to be hurt. So they already adjusted the line. But second of all, Baker Mayfield's doing lots of commercials. Baker Mayfield is a name. Baker Mayfield has talent and, and Baker Mayfield, all of that. The drop-off from Baker Mayfield to Case Keenum doesn't mean it should be moved that much. I always think that a quarterback going down, you know, you're talking about a, a general, a, a top 10 echelon quarterback going down. You can move a line five, six points. Five or six points. You can move a line, maybe more, but five or six points for sure. So a mediocre quarterback going down, I think this this is a justified line. It took some time to get from three and a half to one and a half, but a two-point move for Baker Mayfield is very fine. I, I was fine from it going from three and a half to two and a half. I think Baker Mayfield's worth a point. I think he's worth a point. I, I And I think he still is worth a point. I think the reason why it dropped so much is more because of the running backs. If they had Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt healthy in this game, and Case Keenum back there, I don't think it drops that much. 
And this is not a slight to Baker Mayfield. This is an understanding of how the sports betting universe looks at a guy like Baker Mayfield, right? I mean, the Browns, look, there's 20 players on the injury list. We know that they're just, they're getting destroyed. And you you could sit back and you could say, oh, woe is me. Look, the Ravens are in the same division. The Ravens are in the same position. Nobody's, uh, even the Browns, no one's more hurt than the Ravens. Okay, nobody. And you start to look at what this is going to be. And then you get into the idea of, you know, Denver on the other side. And Denver's a talented team. Okay, they certainly... Look, they're going to move off of Vic. He's he's just not the answer. I like him. I think he's a defensive coordinator. I'm a Bears fan. I didn't want to lose him. I think Fangio's great for what he does. But as a head coach, he's not there. And the quarterback is not there. So Stefanski has that advantage. They are at home. That's the advantage. Their defense has the talent. They haven't played like it, but they certainly have the talent. And now you turn around and you go, all right, what are the Broncos? Well, Broncos have Gordon and Williams. That's a good one-two punch. Jerry Judy might come back for this one. If not, doesn't matter. Cortland Sutton's really good. Noah Fant's really good. They have offensive weapons. And on the defensive side, well, of course they have good defensive weapons led by Von Miller. You know, Jackson in the secondary looks really good. So the Broncos are not a pushover team. But here's where I go with my sports betting analysis. I go, look, at the Broncos had a better quarterback I'd be all over the Broncos here. But I'm not jumping completely on them because I know what the Browns can be. And I'm in the situation, guys, where I don't think that losing Baker Mayfield is a massive falloff. I think Chubb and Hunt are, but they're still at home. They're still a more talented roster. There's still a defense I'm waiting to kind of cause problems. I think the Browns and Broncos game this week is a tough, tough one to pick. Look, Denver's 11-3 and against the spread. Let's 14 Thursday night games. Does that mean anything to you? I don't know. Can you count on Felton? Can you count on Dearness to do something here? And their short, limited time, I've seen some good things from their running attack. I mean, this is going to be an interesting situation for the Browns fans as well. Because, and especially for Baker Mayfield, by the way, if Baker Mayfield you know, is looking for a brand new contract, which he is. I want that contract. I want to get paid. I want to get paid big time money. All right. We know that Baker. We get that. Are you worth it? Are you worth it? Well, if the Browns go out here and lose and they lose at home and they lose at home to the Broncos, the narrative the next day is not going to be the Browns lost because of Baker Mayfield. Oh, Baker wasn't there. We can't beat the Broncos at home. We can't beat what a lot of people consider a backup quarterback at Teddy Bridgewater at home. We can't be beat a, a guy that's going to be out of a job at the end of the year and Vic Faggio at home. We can't do that at home. It's not going to be because of Baker. It's not going to be because Baker Mayfield. That conversation is going to be, oh, it's because we were missing our running backs and we're a running team. We were missing Hunt and Chubb. And we were missing Jarvis Landry as well. And that's what we were missing. So... It's not going to be because of Baker. He's not going to get any juice here. No contract negotiation pull in any way. But here's the thing. What if the Browns win? What if the Browns win with Case Keenum? The Browns win without Nick Chubb, without Kareem Hunt, without Jarvis Landry, without some offensive linemen, 20 players on the injury report, and Case Keenum wins them the game. Look, they already think that Kevin Stavansky walks on water there in Cleveland, right? 
He's walking on the Cuyahoga River right there, right? I mean, they think that. They already believe it. So why are you going to pay Baker his 30, 40, 50, whatever he's asking for, a million dollars? Why why are you going to pay him that much money if Case Keenum could win your games without these guys? You know, get me get me somebody random. Get, get me a mediocre quarterback. And listen, there will be those guys out there. You know, automatically people from Cleveland are going to go, well, you know, who's the next quarterback? Uh, I don't want a rookie in there. No, you don't. You know, no, you don't. What about Matt Ryan? Can Matt Ryan win with the Browns being completely healthy offensively? Oh, I, I, I would argue that they could. What about Jimmy Garoppolo at the end of the year? Can Jimmy G win with this roster? Hey, one with a Niners roster that was less than this. So there's options for the Browns. And this is a terrible situation for Baker. Now, I think Baker Mayfield is fine. Like I said, probably have him in the top 15, but he's in that middle group. Meaning I don't think he could win a Super Bowl. So I'm not paying him that long contract extension. I Not if I'm the Browns, not if the way that my team is constructed, no way. But I think that this is going to be one of those rough situations for Baker because it's a no-win situation. If the Browns win, they're doing it with Case Keenum. They're saying, you know what, Baker? Why do we have to pay you? Why do we have to pay you in this spot? If the Browns lose, Baker wants to say, well, it's because of me. Look, you guys need me. When the reality is, no, no, we, we just need our running game. So it's a bad break for Baker Mayfield here. Um, the one thing I will say is, is, look, he's still got a lot of season to prove us all wrong. At the end of the year last year, he really went absolutely nuts. He looked great out there. But his connection with OBJ is bad, okay? His reads, his his ability to see the field, I think, has regressed. And you look at a guy like Baker Mayfield and you say, the he doesn't have the talent, especially in this AFC, to kind of move on. If Baker Mayfield played in the NFC and he played for a team, I'll just give you like my Chicago Bears. We didn't have Justin Fields and, and you had Baker there. I'm fine with it. Play for the Lions. You're fine with it. Right? Played for, for the New York Giants. You're fine with it. Washington's fine with it. Baker will find a job. Baker will be a starting quarterback in this league if the Browns don't re-sign him. But the way that the AFC is constructed, the way that the Browns are constructed, run first, run, 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 Kevin Stavansky, yeah, they don't need to overpay Baker Mayfield. So again, we go back to the original conversation that I wanted to have about the spread. Those top 10 quarterbacks are moving the spread close to a touchdown. Four, five, six points. Yeah, close to a touchdown. It's going to be massive. Patrick Mahomes misses the game. It's a six-point move. Easy. Easy, right? Tom Brady moves it. It's a seven-point spread. Seven-point swing in the spread. Easy. Maybe more, okay? Baker's not there. Baker's not there. So I hear a lot of people going, Tom, the line barely moved. The line barely moved because the fall off from Baker Mayfield, who was anywhere between the 12th and 17th best quarterback in the NFL, to Case Keenum, who if he had a starting job would be in the low 20s, is just not that great. This line moved because we knew that Baker, so it was already juiced in, that Baker was going to be limited. They already knew that. This line also moved because of the construction of the Browns, where it's a running team and you're missing running backs. This line moved appropriately. Don't think you're getting a huge advantage here. The line moved appropriately. This is when following line movement can get you into trouble if you start to outthink yourself. 
This line was an appropriate line move. All right, guys, let's take a quick timeout. Come on back. We'll be back right after this with more on Wagering Week. And now back to Wagering Week with Tom Barton. I bet you 20 bucks I can get to gamble before the end of the day. No way. I'll give you three to one odds. You're on. What are the odds? What are the odds? Well, we have NBA kicking off. And there's a couple games under our belt already, but let's talk about the NBA win total over-under. The Brooklyn Nets are set at 54.5. Utah Jazz, 53.5. Milwaukee Bucks are 51.5. Los Angeles Lakers, 51.5. Phoenix, 51.5. The Sixers, 50.5. Denver, 49.5. Miami, 48.5. Boston and the Mavericks are both 47.5, as are the Atlanta Hawks. 48.5, that goes to Golden State. Los Angeles Clippers, 44.5. The Portland Trailblazers, 44.5. The Bulls, the Knicks, and the Pacers are 43. Memphis is 41.5. Charlotte and the Pelicans are 38.5. Sacramento's 38. Toronto Raptors, 36.5. Washington Wizards and Minnesota Timberwolves, 34.5. The Spurs, 30.5. Cleveland's 27.5. Detroit and Houston, 25.5. And pulling up the very bottom, the Orlando Magic at 22.5. And Oklahoma City Thunder at 22.5. And And that is What Are The Odds? And getting a little NBA action, I'll tell you, the NBA is pretty much, look, it's here, (laughs) right? I mean, it's here. We don't really have an official NBA start date, though, right? Not until Christmas. Christmas is about it. All right, guys, let's get into the games this weekend. Um, uh, Panthers, Giants right at the top. Look, the Panthers and the Giants, this is an interesting situation because it's Sam Donald, Daniel Jones. Uh, Sam Donald was everything. He was fantastic. Running it in. Everything was great. And he's looked bad. Look, they've lost three straight games. He's reversed back into almost Adam Gase-like territory. But look, he's dealing with a lot of injuries. He's dealing with no running game. Chuba Harbert is just not the guy. But Matt Rule didn't have any problem sitting back and saying, you know what? He wants to change everything. Matt Rule said he wants to redefine the entire offense, wants to run the ball anywhere between 30 and 33 times a game. Wow. All right, guys. Dial up your Chuba Harbor for this weekend because of that right there. Uh, you look at this and you go, okay, you know, is this the get-right game for Carolina? Is this that game where all of a sudden everything kind of goes right for them and they 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 get back to being the that kind of team? Look, the Giants can be stingy defensively, or so we thought. They've let up 81 points the last couple of weeks, the last few weeks, and, and they just look bad. But it's the Giants' offense that's the problem. Since hiring Jason Garrett back in 2020, 32nd in red zone offense, 32nd in two-minute offense, 31st in points per game, 30th in points per drive, 30th in net yards, 29th in third down success rate, 28th in sacks allowed. Their offense is dreadful. It's absolutely pathetic. And you could sit back and talk to me all you want, right? Uh, Go on lovingly about what the Giants can be. But I'm looking at what the Giants are, and the Giants are a bad offense. So you have a bad offense on one side, and on the other side you have the Panthers' defense, which is fantastic with Burns and Chin uh, and Thompson. So you lean the Panthers here, but with this new running style. The question is this, do you believe Matt Rule? Do you believe Matt Rule when he says, we are going to redefine the offense? Do you believe Matt Rule when he says, we want to run the ball 30 or 33 times a game? Because if you do, if you believe Matt Rule 
then you have to sit back and you have to love the under here and you have to like the Panthers. I'm just not sure he's ready to run it 30 to 33 times a game with the backup quarterback or the backup running back. And this quarterback, even if he's struggling, you know what? I know he needs the help running the ball, but guys, come on. Uh, you know, 33 times a game is just a very... Uh, Derrick Henry's going, man, that's a lot of carries, right? All right. Jets, Patriots. This line has fallen from seven to six and a half, and I don't get it. Look, New England might be 0-4 in Foxborough for the first time since 1993, and the Patriots might be 1-4 against the spread the last five games. Yeah, sure. That's fine. The New York Jets are still the New York Jets, and they're coming off of a bye week. I get it. But Bill Belichick against a rookie quarterback. We look back and we go, well, Davis Mills almost beat him. Well, he almost did, but he didn't. And that was a game where the Patriots were missing three offensive linemen. I don't think it was Davis Mills necessarily looking all great. And now you come in with the Jets. Jets have lost 18 in the last 21 games overall. The Jets have been outscored 75 to 13 in the first half. Guys, you know, the Patriots, this is a big number for them to lay in this spot. I think they looked real good against Dallas. And I think about the line of what it should be. If they had beaten Dallas, which they should have beaten Dallas, if they had beaten Dallas, this line's probably 10. So you get Belichick off of a loss. Belichick at home. I know it hasn't been great this year, but he's back at home. Belichick plays the Jets, who he loves to kind of beat down because remember, listen, I was at that press conference where he crumbled up that piece of paper and walked out. And Belichick against a rookie quarterback. Everything lines up for a Patriots win here. Chiefs and Titans, let's go back to the eye test of what we just watched. We watched the Titans look pretty impressive, and we watched Derrick Henry just look downright unstoppable. I mean, that's really what he was, unstoppable. Now you have the Chiefs defense that is ranked dead last or next to last in almost every single category. But on the other side, well, people are still betting on the Chiefs. The Chiefs are going to be a publicly bet team. This line opened up at Chiefs minus three. It's up to five and a half. A lot of that probably has to do with the fact that Julio Jones is out. Uh, Caleb Farley, isolated ACL tear and a minimal um, meniscus damage for him. He's going to be out. The Tampa Bay, uh, the Tennessee team lost multiple defensive backs. That's a problem. And Tennessee, after a Monday night game, they're 2-12 and against the spread the last 14. Look, Kansas City didn't look very good. Uh, in beating Washington defensively, but they did hold them to 13 points. They were a bend, don't break, and you could live with that if you got Patrick Mahomes running up and down. The Titans, though, they are at home, and I don't know if anybody could stop Derrick Henry, but I'm certainly convinced that the one team that absolutely cannot stop Derrick Henry is the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm sorry, guys. I just I I see a high scoring game. The problem is. You, you can't even go with a total here because it's up to 57 and a half. That's a ridiculous total. Speaking of Washington, they're going to travel to Green Bay. And I don't say this because I think Aaron Rodgers is a jerk. He's a moron. He's a little tiny little man. This little pansy that I yell at the, the you know, the Bears fans. Come on. Yeah. Let one of those Bears fans come down onto the field and watch what happens. It, 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 okay. I don't like him. But he's not getting any respect. He's just getting no respect. This Packers team is so much better than people giving them credit for. And I still don't think that they've kind of hit their stride. Washington's a league worst 1-5 against the spread. It is a rookie quarterback still and not a very good one. He's not a rookie, but, you know, uh, he's got a rookie, less than rookie starts. Still going into Green Bay, which is still a tough place to play. Uh, this line opened up at 6.5 or so. It's only up to about 8.5. The Packers are not only 5-1 on the season, but they're also 5-1 against the spread. You have to get somebody else besides uh, Adams there. And, um, you know, Lazard looked okay. Uh, Aldi Scandling might be back. He might be the guy that they need. But what I do like, forget about the Rodgers stuff. I like Jones and I like Dylan. All of a sudden, the Packers are a running team. They're a physical team. Uh, This is a weak line, and I don't know why it's so low. 
all right, I do know why this line moved. The Dolphins were minus two. Now, all of a sudden, they're plus two. And you're looking at the Falcons and you're going, all right, the Falcons are coming off of a bye week. They started to look good. Matt Ryan looked real good before the bye weeks went into effect. Dolphins coming back from London. And they decided not to take their bye week. This is a Brian Flores decision. This is a decision where they said, no, we don't want the bye week. Now, you probably want it. Let me tell you, Tua is not the problem. He was not the problem. Last week, he was pressured on 19 dropbacks without taking a sack. He was throwing it under 2.5 seconds. Boom, he's getting it out fast. And both of his touchdowns came against blitzes. He looked phenomenal last week, but he was throwing it all day. He was leading in the middle of the third quarter. He was the leading rusher with 22 yards and the leading rusher only ended with 24. That was pathetic. He also did this without starting wide receiver Devontae Parker, starting wide receiver Will Fuller, starting wide receiver uh, Williams. He did this with this and no run game. He was good. Stop blaming Tua. Brian Flores all of a sudden can't coach. This team has lost five straight games. They can't play defense. They decide not to run the ball. Why would they not run the ball? And now you take on a tough Falcons team with, look, your rest, your body clock is going to be off, and the Falcons are very rested. How about Bengals and Ravens? Are we ready to believe that the Bengals are ready to play with the Ravens and go into Baltimore and get a win? The Ravens were massively impressive last week. Cincinnati's just one of eight teams this year, allowing 100 or less yards per game on the ground. That's huge because the Ravens average 155 on the ground, and that's fourth best in the NFL. They're going to want to run the ball, even with these backups and the Le'Veon Bells, and it's, it's five years ago and all that. They want to run the ball. Cincinnati is pretty good against the run. Offensively, well, the Ravens, they rank fifth in yards per play, but the Bengals are right behind them. So offensively, defensively, they're kind of still right there. The Ravens, though, they give up the third most passing yards in the AFC this year. You can throw on them all day. They lost Marcus Peters and never recovered. But this team also has scored 38 or more points in all three of their games, the last three that they faced the Bengals. This, to me, has the, the makings of a game that probably is too close for comfort for the Ravens. Everyone's on top of the Ravens. Um... The Bengals avoided the look ahead against Detroit. I'm just not sure I'm ready to make the Bengals a viable contender. So here's one of those spots where I don't believe that the Bengals win the game. So I can't take them plus the points, even though I think six, six and a half points is a little inflated. And finally, let's talk about that Lions and and those Rams. And and you have their Lions and Rams. And I want to have a conversation about what we talk about in the media. And what we talk about in the media is ridiculous flashpoint talking points that just don't make any sense. And let me explain. Matthew Stafford revenge game. Are we kidding? Matthew Stafford revenge game. What is he what is, what does he have in a revenge spot? What is he avenging here or taking his revenge against? Matthew Stafford who was given weapons in Detroit watched a a losing organization for a losing team, a a city that was basically, you know, just knew that they were going to lose every game. The Lion fan base for, look, you guys are a good fan base because you're sticking around, knew that Matthew Stafford was better than their team should have. And all of a sudden, what, his revenge game? He gets to go to L.A., beautiful sunshine. Yeah, they're kind of morons there, and we don't like people from L.A., (laughs) Okay, I get it, the elitist attitude. But look, he gets to go there in the beautiful sunshine, uh, you know, and start a life there in SoFi Stadium. Awesome, and the fans love him. And they're going to be just throwing money at him for endorsements, and he gets to work with Sean McVay, and he gets Cooper Cup and Woods, and he gets an offense, and he gets the best defensive player in the last 10 years, and Aaron Donald. Oh, yeah, there's a lot to be 
angry about, right? I need revenge. No, 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 no. What we want to say is this is a Jared Goff revenge game. You know, Jared Goff, the guy that was drafted number one overall by this organization, Jared Goff that went through three coaches, Jared Goff who brought this team to the Super Bowl and he led this team as a quarterback to the Super Bowl and everyone said, well, it's McVay, it's not you. Jared Goff who was on the face of every billboard because he's the face of the franchise and then all of a sudden, oh yeah, you're traded and we're not even going to tell you you're traded. They didn't even call him. Guys, if you want a revenge game, this is the Jared Goff revenge game. Let's make no mistake. The problem is, is that Jared Goff doesn't have any of the components that need to win a revenge game. He doesn't have any of that to go out there and win a revenge game. Jared Goff has never won a game without Sean McVay as his coach. He's 0-13. 0-13, that's with Jeff Fisher. That's now with Dan Campbell. Look, he's he's bad. The Rams are 25-9-1 against the spread in the last 35 against the NFC. They don't win, they cover. And the Rams are 9-4-1 last 14 games as a home favorite. They win, they cover, they win at home. The Rams are also in a position where they can't let up. They can't overlook the Lions here. 15.5 point favorites. It went from 13.5 to 15.5, and I can't really give you a compelling argument why it shouldn't have gone up. The Rams are at home. The Rams can't take their foot off their gas because they're staring at a team with a better record than 5-1 and one in front of them in the Cardinals. So this is not a Matthew Stafford revenge game. This is not a Sean McVay revenge game. They're, no, no. It's a Jared Goff revenge game, but I don't know if he can do it. And guess what? Neither does his coach. Dan Campbell picked a very interesting week to kind of throw Jared Goff under the bus. Dan Campbell came out and said, basically, you know, he's got to do more for us. You know, this is what he's got to do. He's got to do more for us. He's got to sit back and do more for this organization. I don't think he, you know, he's playing that well. Look, Dan Campbell has come out to the podium and given us some doozies. And basically, the week before he goes and plays his old team, his old team that threw him away like trash and said, yeah, yeah, you guys take this bum. uh, He basically says, yeah, he's not that good. Is this a motivating factor? Look, the Lions, for all their problems, and they're missing offensive linemen, they're missing defensive players, for all their issues, for all their problems, the Lions have played tough. Last week wasn't quite that scenario against Cincinnati, but the Lions have played tough all year. They have played above their expectations. It is because of pure emotion. I don't see scheming that I like. I don't see players that I like. The talent level is definitely not there. But if you're betting on a team to cover a 15 and a half point spread. You got to hope that everything's going right for you and everything's going wrong for the other team. Well, everything seems to be going right for the Rams. This could be a huge Daryl Henderson game. By the way, I love the prop plays on him. Cup could have a big game. The Lions secondary is a mess. No one's going to be in their face. Yeah, look, everything is there for the Rams in a component standpoint. And this is why the line went from 13 and a half to 15 and a half because people only see what they're betting on. People only look at the Rams and say, I'm taking the Rams because they're going to crush the Lions because everything is working for my team. And that's how people handicap games. And this is where you get in trouble. You don't look at the other side. So I'm going to give you the other side of the Lions, even though I'm telling you I'm not betting them. I'm not betting the Lions, but I want to give you the other side because a lot of money's coming on the Rams. Here's the other side for the Lions. Well, our number one receiver was supposed to be Ty Williams. Uh, he's coming back this week. St. Brown has looked good. Look, he's a spa- fast-speeded receiver. He's getting seven, eight uh, looks his way, 10 looks his way. All of a sudden, he's converting them. He's doing well with them. DeAndre Swift was questionable last week, and there wasn't. they weren't sure how banged up he was. He played, and he wasn't overly effective. But wait a minute. He's got another week to get healthy. DJ Hawkinson 
was questionable and he wasn't feeling great, saying he feels good in camp now. Uh, so you look at the Lions and you go, there's a lot, a lot to like here if you're taking the 15 and a half. Lions are not winning this game. But if you're taking the 15 and a half, you could make the argument that Jared Goff, who we know has talent, okay? The guy has talent. Rusty wouldn't have been picked number one overall. Jared Goff, who has talent, is going to be angry. He's going to be looking for revenge. He might have some insight. Okay, you have that angle. DeAndre Swift and Hawkinson, your two best players, getting a little bit healthier. Certainly healthier than they were last two weeks. Okay, that's a positive. Another positive is, well, you know what? We might be getting our best wide receiver back. And the second guy that is making massive strides, well, he was going to be our number two receiver. Well, now all of a sudden he's a compliment guy. Oh, okay, there you go. You also have the idea that the Rams, they might be in the, eh, we're going to overlook these guys kind of mode. You could be in that spot where it doesn't really matter. We're at home. They're 0-6. We should crush these guys. You might be in that mode. So when you're going out there and you're talking about you know, these big, huge favorites, these massive favorites. And what I consider a big, huge favorite in college football as opposed to pro football is massively different. In the NFL, when you cross seven, you're a big favorite. I mean, that's just reality. When you cross seven points, you go to a seven-point favorite, seven-and-a-half-point favorite, you're a big favorite. Talk about it like it's a big favorite. You go up to 10, oh, it's huge. Double digits. Huge favorite, right? I mean, I used to have a rule. I used to just bet nothing but double-digit underdogs all the time, okay? And, and you're going to make money that doing that. Huge. You get up to 13 and a half, 14, 14 and a half. You get in, into that range, two touchdowns. You got in the, You need two touchdowns to win. All right, now you're into that massive favorite realm. And that massive favorite realm doesn't go good for favorites most of the time. Now, we talked about it. Vegas is going to have a couple of spots in Vegas, Atlantic City, around the country. Connecticut, by the way, welcome to online sports betting this week. All right, around the country, they're going to have some spots where the public's going to get crushed coming up soon. I see a lot of money coming on the Rams. I see the line going from 13 and a half, and that's not good enough. We got to make it 15 and a half. Well, now it's crossed that 14 number, and it's become into that danger zone number. I cannot advocate here to sit back and take the Lions, okay? I can't tell you that the Lions should play competitive. I can't tell you I believe that Jared Goff is going to go and exact his revenge, but I think that there's enough to keep me off of the game now that it's gone to 15 and a half. And I think that there is a, a big difference between 13 and a half and 15 and a half, and the, the public has really reached up and pushed this over. What's weird is that this isn't the biggest spread of the week. It's not the biggest spread of the NFL week at all. And it could be maybe not there by about three points. We're going to talk about that into the future. But now let's go back to the future. We're sending you back to the future. Okay, all right. Bet to the future. Okay, let's go bet to the future. And I told you the NBA kicked off, so we're going to do a little bet to the future NBA style here. What about odds to win coach of the year this year? Steve Kerr is leading the way at 8-1. to one. Steve Nash, 9-1. to one. Billy Donovan's 12-1. to one. Eric Spolster's 12-1. to one. Frank Vogel, 14-1. to one. Monty Williams is 14-1. to one. And Rick Carlisle, 14-1. to one. That is bet to the future. All right, guys, let's get back to this NFL slate of games. And, you know, it, it is a, uh, a a rare occurrence 
where I could say a 15 point, 15 and a half point underdog in the NFL is not the biggest underdog of the week. That's because the Cardinals now are now 18 point favorites at home against the Houston Texans. Look, the Cardinals are 6 and 0. They're rolling. The Texans are garbage. The Texans even were going to have maybe a quarterback shakeup. I'll tell you what, Tyrod Taylor played in this game. I'm taking the 18. You want to talk about uh, line movement? I, I I think Tyrod Taylor's worth a point, you Baker Mayfield fans out there. How about that? Look, this line opened out at 14. Quickly, very quickly, went up to about 17. Hung there for a while and then went over the 18. I even started up at 19 at some spots in Atlantic City this week. Cardinals, look, they're 6-0, 5-1 against the spread. That's tied for the second best in the NFL. They're winning, they're covering, they're playing really good football. This also has the added advantage. And when we talk about an advantage, you have to think about, you know, personnel and people, what they what they feel and what they are. When I sat back and heard the Matthew Stafford revenge game, it drove me nuts. Because, like I said, look, there's no revenge game for Matthew Stafford. Come on. If anything, it would be Jared Goff, and I don't think he's got the weapons to be a revenge team. But I will tell you something. There is a double revenge game here on the Cardinals against the Texans. Because there are two players that just a few years ago were the cornerstones of this organization. We all believed that DeAndre Hopkins and J.J. Watt would bring the Houston Texans into the next century. We believe that they were the core. They would have their jerseys retired. Still might. They'd have their jerseys retired. They were destined with Deshaun Watson to potentially win a championship. Things were looking good for the Houston Texans. And then all of a sudden, things went awry. And I know that it's different personnel and and O'Brien isn't there and whatnot, but DeAndre Hopkins left... And he wasn't very happy. You can call that a revenge game. J.J. Watt left. He loves Houston. He doesn't like the Texans organization. And not many people are on that kind of, I like the Texans organization anyway. You also look at, by the way, Cliff Kingsbury, not that it's necessarily a revenge game against Texans, but yeah, he's got a little Texas blood in him as well. So this has that going on with it. You also have the idea that the media has set up the Cardinals to just come out here and prove a point that we don't all, we don't really believe needs to be proven, right? We all believe you are really good. Cardinals, you guys are good, okay? You're really good, but nobody seems to be putting them number one on their power rankings, on their lists, on their everything. So there's still a little bit of that oh, us against the world. Nobody believes in us. We got to go crush the the Texans. You know, so you have a little bit of that. You know, Murray is fantastic. And James Conner is kind of rejuvenated. And Edmonds might come back a little healthier. This is a Hopkins game. And if it's not a Hopkins game, it could be an A.J. Green Green game. He looks good, right? And if it's not an A.J. Green game, what about Christian Kirk? And if it's not a Christian Kirk game, well, what about Rondell Moore? And if it's not a Rondell Moore game, well, what about Zach Ertz? I mean, the weapons are fantastic. You're starting to see this offense for the Cardinals turn into, oh yeah, no, no, yeah, they're a dangerous team to, uh uh-oh. Wait a minute. This is a Super Bowl contender because the weapons are fantastic. My question was always with the defense. Defense looks good. J.J. Watt's never going to be defensive player of the year again, but I'll tell you what, he looks good. He looks Pro Bowl worthy. They do come off the edge pretty well with Jones. I mean, Arizona can go out here and win this and crush this line 
all day, every day, and I'm not going to say, wow, you know what? That was shocking. This potentially is the best team in the league against potentially the worst team in the league. This is potentially the Super Bowl champion, soon to be Super Bowl champion at home against the number one overall draft pick, right? I mean, this has the makings of a just absolutely, just brutal bloodfest. But 18 points is still 18 points. It's still the NFL, guys. And you go back and you look over the numbers, and we talked about this earlier in the year when we had that massive spread. Uh, over in the last uh, 10 highest spreads in the history of the NFL, which 18 and a half is not there, but the 10 highest spreads in the history of the NFL, only one of them covered. Okay. When you start getting into that 14, 14 and a half range, usually it, it's real bad for the favorite. You get into that 17 plus range, it's massively bad for the favorite. Once you get to 20, it, it, it's like 10%, but this is in that, that tough range. So I can't make an argument for the Texans other than to say, look, the Cardinals, uh, they're in a position where maybe they pull the dogs off. Maybe Davis Mills, uh, you know, could get something going late. He sees his job being taken away. Maybe there's a backdoor cover here. If you're in a survivor pool, Cardinals all day. Cardinals all day, every day. Cardinals. Don't even look at the Rams. Cardinals all day. They're not going to lose this game. I just, uh, I'm always skeptical about anybody laying basically close to three touchdowns. Basically, you you need a, a three touchdown win here. That's a lot. All right, let's talk Eagles, Raiders. A lot more manageable line, right? Raiders by about two and a half. And you look at this team and you you go, the Raiders uh, really rallied last week. And we had the conversation last week on this show about mindset, about Derek Carr and what he could be. And it was all on Carr. And I spoke on my Sunday morning show. It was all on Carr's shoulders. If Derek Carr came out early on, this team was going to win that game. Didn't matter, Nick Passaccio or, or me coaching. It didn't matter. When things go bad in a locker room, the rest of the team, your 53 men there, the organization, forget about it, not even the 53 men, the ticket takers, the travel secretary, everybody on that team looks to the head coach to stabilize things. Okay? And that's where the head coach is so important. He sets a tone. He stabilizes the organization. All right. And I say organization, not just team, organization. He stabilizes the franchise, stabilizes the organization. All right. Everything's going to be okay. This is it. Boom. Well, when it's your head coach, and let's be honest, de facto leader of the entire organization, because no one is looking, uh, you know, to the front office. No, it was Gruden, Gruden, Gruden. When it's him, who do you look to? Right? You're not looking to Mike Mayock. Oh, yeah, Mike Mayock, that stabilizing force. No, and there's nothing against Mayock, but he's not that stabilizing force in a franchise. No. So the next best thing was going to be Derek Carr. Well, Derek Carr stepped up. He took that. He took it seriously. He took that mantle and he ran with it. And that's why the Raiders won last week. But uh, eventually, and I said this before last week, eventually that's going to catch up with the Raiders. And I wonder how quickly it will. I wonder if this is the week where the Eagles have extra rest, the Raiders maybe, you know, this week didn't get coached up properly. Not the same kind of way. This is a dangerous Raiders team for the next couple of weeks to bet on or against. Colts and Niners are the late game. This is this is a game where I, I wish it was flexed out. Look, it's two and four against two and three. Both of these teams still think they can make a wild card, and maybe they can. I'm impressed with the Colts and what they've done. Carson Wentz throwing for multiple touchdowns each of his last three games. He's completely cut down on interceptions. No player threw more interceptions than Carson Wentz last year. He had 15 and 12 games. This year, he's thrown the fewest interceptions of any quarterback that played every game. 
I mean, this is unbelievable. Carson Wentz is a completely different player, but it's all on Jonathan Taylor. If Jonathan Taylor is running the way that he has, the Niners don't even stand a chance here. The Niners are three and a half or four point favorites, okay? Over the last three weeks, Taylor's averaging 147 yards per game. In the last three weeks, 441 total yards, first in the NFL. Five touchdowns, first in the NFL. Eight and a half yards per touch, first in the NFL. He is the best running back in the NFL right now. Right now. Even what we watched with Derrick Henry. Right now, Jonathan Taylor is the best running back in the NFL, and Carson Wentz doing what he's doing. You look at the, the the Niners and you go, how are you favorites? Well, you're the favorites because you're coming off of a bye week. You are getting healthier. They're going to have the full allotment of running backs. You know, Mitchell's going to come back and healthy, and Sermon, I know he didn't do a lot, but he's going to come back and healthy, uh, be healthy here. you got to think that they're going to get Brandon Ayuk more involved in this situation, and Jimmy Garoppolo is back. And you could not like Jimmy Garoppolo. Maybe his chin line bothers you. Maybe that dimple in his chin bothers you. Whatever it is, you don't like Jimmy. He's not your guy. But Shanahan and Jimmy win games. And even Shanahan wants to move off him and Trey Lance and the organ say, but Shanahan and Jimmy win games. And this is at home. And this now becomes, with the way that the Rams are playing and the way that Arizona is playing, this almost becomes a must win for the Niners. You can't fall to two and four and be looking at potentially up at seven and zero. You can't fall to two and four and potentially be looking up at seven and zero and six and one. That's what the Niners face. Colts, meanwhile, to get themselves right back into this thing with a win. I, I think it's all on Jonathan Taylor. If Jonathan Taylor has the kind of game uh, that he's had over the last couple of weeks, this is almost a no-brainer. All right, one game during the late window I, I saved here for a moment because the line is bouncing everywhere. And I wanted to talk about the line movement here where there are really no injuries and what happens. Well, the Tampa Bay Bucks opened up as nine and a half point favorites, 10 in some spots, okay? It has risen all the way to 13 and a half over Chicago at home. Now it's come back down to 12. When you see bumping crazy line movements like this, guys, don't assume that it's a lot of people betting this way or a lot of people betting that way. In something like this, it's probably more of no nobody's coming in with a bag and moving the line and it's not a whole bunch of people moving over. No, this is more of, all right, we're in that middle range. Once you went to 10 and a half, what's the difference between 10 and a half and, and 13 and a half? You know, that's how they're thinking. So people are adjusting, lines are moving. Volume-wise, this is one of the most heavily bet games on the weekend, volume-wise. And you go, why? Right? I mean, the Bucks look good, but they're banged up in the secondary. And the Bears, well, they were looking good. They got some defense. But eh, what are the Bears? You know, Justin Fields still can't throw the ball downfield. And they don't look very good. The Bucks are at home. They're 6-1 and at Raymond James. The Bucks are 2-4 and four against the spread, though, even though they're 5-1. and one. It's an inflated line. Once this got to 13 and a half, this was your opportunity to buy all day. But now it's settled back down at the 12 range. It, you know, it, it's it's that spot where you're going, all right, if I like the Bears, I want it to get back up to 13, 13 and a half. If I like the Bucks, I want it to get back down to 10 and a half. I don't know if it moves off. I think we settle in at 12, 12 and a half. And I'm sitting here going, look, I'm a Bears fan. And I go, I, I think the defense can keep it close for a while, but nobody's able to stop Brady. Nobody's able to stop Brady. All right, guys. Saints, Seahawks, Monday night football. The question is, will Michael Thomas play? He's eligible to come off the IR. Well, that's a question mark. They are coming off. Are the Saints off of uh, you know a time off here? Seattle, they looked awful against Pittsburgh in the first half. And then all of a sudden, look, they looked really good. For, for me, this game is this. What do you believe about Geno Smith 
or Pete Carroll. Because Seattle, well, they play historically well as an underdog. They're 13-5 against the spread as an underdog the last 18. They play historically well in Seattle. Oh, yeah, they're great in Seattle. Oh, Seattle plays historically well on Monday Night Football. Oh, yes, they do. They play historically well in primetime. Oh, uh, that's all true. I believe all that. You're totally right. But do I believe that was Pete Carroll? Or do I believe that was Russell Wilson? And I think that's a serious question that you have to ask yourself when you're looking at this game. Do you believe it was Pete Carroll who brought them to this? Playing well as an underdog, playing well in Seattle, playing well in prime time, playing well in a Monday night game. Do you believe that that was the product of Pete Carroll? Or do you believe it was Russell Wilson? If you believe it was Pete Carroll, those are great trends. Those are great numbers. If you believe it was Russell Wilson, they do nothing for you. Saints, on the other hand, look... Uh, Hill might be getting a little bit healthier. You had some time off for coaching. Peyton is going to coach these guys up in this way. Michael Thomas might be back. You know Kamara's going to be fine. You know Winston's going to be fine. Lattimore's been banged up, had a week to kind of get healthy. But it is still a Monday night game. It is still in Seattle. So, uh, you know, I think the line is right where it should be. Saints three. I don't love it going to three and a half. I, you know, on a neutral field, are the Saints six and a half or seven point favorite over Seattle? Well, I don't know about that. You know, I was a little impressed with what Seattle was able to do in the second half, but uh, my eyes can't stop watching the first half, too, where they looked god-awful. Chris Carson's also banged up. So this is a spot where I think that the lines makers nailed it. It's going to be one of those Monday night games that most of America is going to kind of shy away from. Can make money, but uh, you got to wait to see some of these guys coming back and and how uh, the weather is as well. That's my last final thought today. Um, is the weather. The weather's going to start to become a problem. The weather's going to start to get into a position where we're all looking at and go, all right, we have to start to account for that. We have to start to handicap for that. And weather could be a problem around the league. I'm hearing flash flood warnings in some spots. There's some wind in some spots. So make sure, look, it's too early in the week, right? This is a Thursday uh, podcast. It's too early in the week to really make a big deal about the potential weather that's coming. But make sure that you guys do your homework before betting any game, any total at all. Do your homework on the weather because it could be impactful this week. Real quick, I'm going to end it off with the NBA. I said that was my last comment. That was my last comment about that. Real quick, I want to end it off here with the NBA. And, um, you know, people ask me all the time because I do love my futures plays. Okay. I, I'm fantastic. But I haven't really nailed too many NBA futures plays as far as the championship because there's no value, right? If you're asking me, who do I think is going to be in the NBA championship this year? I mean, how do you not say the Nets? If Kyrie plays, the Nets are winning at all. But they're plus 250. And that's like a good line. Plus 250 to win it all. You can't make money there. The Bucks would make some sense. Uh, but the Bucks are clearly the, the number two team if a healthy Brooklyn team. And you're getting only about seven to one odds there. I, I do like the Bucks, but there's not enough juice for me to kind of go in there. Philly? How can anybody bet on Philly? They're a complete mess. So that's coming from the East. And then the West? Well, the West is so just... Oh, clamped together, crunched together. I think Denver's going to be good. They could be a good value at about 14 to 1. I think that the Utah Jazz could be a good value at 14 to 1. Okay? But you got to then look at them and go, can they take over the LA teams? Can they take over Phoenix, who kind of came out of nowhere? What if Dallas takes the next step up? So the West, to me, is too competitive. The East, it's between two or three teams, but there's no value. So, I mean, look, you're asking me today on something I would throw money on. 
I'll throw money on Denver if Murray gets back and, you know, that team. Maybe you could throw a couple bucks on them. Maybe a couple bucks on Utah. Ultimately, I don't think that they have the offense, even though I do like Donovan Mitchell. That's the teams that I guess have some value. But this is this is a situation where if Kyrie, you know, gets the shot or the maniacs in New York City go pull off of those ridiculous mandates, uh, Kyrie plays for the Nets. Nobody's beating them. Nobody's beating them. As far as MVP goes, I would say kind of the same thing. You know, I was on Joker a year early. Uh, I don't think they give it to him back-to-back. Luka is uh, dominating the ticket count. Everybody loves Luka in this spot. I I think there's a couple of guys that you could kind of sprinkle on and and take a shot that maybe they have that kind of year. But the big boys, the Durants, uh, the Giannis's, you know, there's no value there. Uh, Even LeBron. I don't see LeBron playing a full slate of games. The LA guys are going to knock each other off. So I get the the idea between Luca and, and I think Joker's got to be among them again. He's just got to have great stat lines, but they're not going to give it to him two years in a row. So I don't really like a lot right now, but I'll keep you up to date when I do kind of fall in love with some futures plays in the NBA. All right, guys, I'm Tom Barton for Wagering Week. We'll be back, and you can bet on that. This has been a presentation of the Sports Garden Network. To be part of the show, call 1-855-4-GARTEN. That's 1-855-442-7386. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter at Sports Garden. That's G-A-R-T-E-N. Get all your credible sports intelligence 24 hours a day by visiting us at sportsgarden.com.